You are listening to Genuine Chit Chat. This show is for real. Hello there, friends, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I am chatting with entrepreneur Carol Evans. Now, you might be able to hear Willow panting in the background there because I'm recording this in a hotel room in Somerset. Uh, but that should not detract from this conversation at all. It is a really, really great conversation, especially for entrepreneurs, risk takers, or business owners. But also, it's just a really motivational chat. Carol also talks about mindset and positivity and women in business as well. And it's just a really interesting conversation, I think, for anyone who is looking to go into anything that they have to do everything kind of themselves in a lot of ways, or if you have to go into a sector that you're not fully comfortable in. So, absolutely thrilled to have this conversation in the description there are going to be links to carol's websites her social media the book that she co-authored and loads of other great things too but uh i won't waffle on anymore here so thank you so much for listening as always friends don't forget at youtube.com slash genuine chit chat within a day or so of this being uploaded on the audio feed there will be a video version so you can check out that and uh, just thank you for listening as always i'll be back at the end for more information welcome to genuine chit chat where we have honest conversations with interesting people and I'm your host, Mike Burton. So, I am here today uh, with an individual who has achieved a huge amount of success in her life, has travelled across various places across the world, and has learned a lot of different things. And so, I am very pleased to announce Carol Evans, who I'd say, would entrepreneur, would that be the best place, best way to describe you? Like, how would you describe yourself to my audience? Yeah, I would describe myself as many things, but yeah, primarily an entrepreneur. Yeah. And thank you very much. It's lovely to talk to you today. <laughs> no worries at all. So I've heard <laughs> on another podcast, your sort of uh, your beginnings and those sorts of things, and you're welcome to retread those same steps. But there was one element that I kind of wanted to, one question I want to ask, which I think links in with how your career started. And you said that before you got into um sort of business consultancy and ownership and being a full entrepreneur, you were really interested in musical theatre and the arts and, you know, playing instruments and and kind of doing doing things in the more uh, arty kind of world, less so than the business world. So I wonder if you could tell us similarities you found between the business world, in air quotes, and the more musical creative world, in air quotes, and the kind of connective tissue between them. And as you as an individual having such a passion for music, how that fostered your passion and success in the business world okay well I guess I didn't really realize that at first um you know any any similarities it's probably more so now that I noticed that so I'm really creative in business so when I work with uh, my clients or even in my own business I don't tend to do what everybody else is doing I look for the gaps and I really do to coin a phrase look outside the box and um yeah, so I think the RT music side shows up for me in business in terms of the creativity, but also, I guess, in terms of uh, visibility, speaking, you know, there's a bit of drama in that, that <laughs> uh, and the performance of putting on the business that when I first set up in business, I worked in hotels and hotels have to put on a show, you know, they have to create an environment that people want to stay in, relax and enjoy, etc. Uh, so I guess there's similarities in, in that respect. But more recently, I have actually introduced a photography and vid- video element to my business. Mm. So that enables me to be completely creative. I do also do quite a lot of speaking, which I suppose links back into the whole performance and drama side of things. 
And the fact that I have been voice trained really helps me in doing that as well. So, and I can help other people as well in in terms of getting their message across and helping them say what they mean and being kind of true to themselves. And uh, yeah, I guess I kind of like gone back more to my roots in terms of the creative side and uh, the expressive side than I did certainly mid-career in the corporate world where I kind of had to conform a little bit more to normal standards. Yeah, that makes sense. And with your singing, just uh, linking onto that, am I right in remembering, was it a soprano? Is that that your kind of yeah, vocal range? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So- I used to sing very high and very operatic at one stage. But then I did all, I actually started singing in the church choir, believe it or not, when I was seven. And my older sister was singing in the choir. And she came home one day and she said to my mom, she says, oh, mom, she says, I've told the choir mistress, Jenny, that uh, Carol's going to join the choir. And she says, what? She can't sing. And... <laughs> So I don't know whether it was like a little bit, she she opened up a little bit of rebellion in me to prove her wrong. But then <laughs> just at 16 to go off to music school and, and study singing as a main, as my main study and train as an opera singer. But then I did also sing in a jazz band and, uh, and also then train to turn that into musical theatre as well. So, but yeah. I used to be able to sing very high, can't now, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't sing, unfortunately. It's, uh, uh, everybody can sing. I can sing. Okay, low. I can sing baritone, kind of low stuff. I want to sing really high. Yeah. I, I like singing high, but no one else likes me singing high. That's the that's the crux of it. So I sound my best when I'm singing quite low <laughs> and standard stuff, but I really want to just hit all these high notes. I want to sing like really high muse songs and stuff like that, which I can't hit those notes. So it just sounds yeah. awful. <laughs> But with your, uh, with, I want. I'm intrigued because I've not actually spoken to many people about um, studying music and studying like performance. So I am intrigued in that element of when you did study that at. Did you say university? And you like when? No, you, no, no. I just sorry, college. I just, yeah, so I was going on to musical theatre school, which I ended up not going to. Right, so I see. This was like a foundation music course. So yeah. Mm, and what about like when you were doing I, that? I studied, yeah. Sorry, when you were doing that, like, what what is it that one studies? Because obviously, when it comes to say playing an instrument, that's one element that is more easy to visualize how one would study that. But when it's singing and things, especially opera, like, how was that for you? And I assume then the the way that you studied, I assume, is kind of in hindsight was kind of showing how you would study in in sort of the the corporate world. I imagine because it's the transferable skill almost. If you can hunker down and you can figure things out and you can take your own time to kind of discipline yourself, I assume that's a transferable skill to the business world as well. I guess it's the same as any any skill. Uh, my son is a cricketer and a footballer, and so I would say that the same applies to that as it did to me singing, in the fact that you learn techniques. You ha- there are vocal exercises that basically help you to extend your vocal range and extend the fluidity in which you move from one note to another. And I'm a bit of a geek in everything that I do in terms of learning. I study, 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 study all the time. And I practice. So when I was being taught singing, I would, the same as with a musical instrument, it, it, uh, because I used to play the flute and the piano as well. And I'd just practice a phrase over and over and over again from a technical aspect. So if you've got to go from a low note to a high note, you'd practice that transition over and over again. And 
one of the things that helped me in terms of doing that was that then when I came to do a performance, I didn't have to focus on the technical aspects at all because they were so they became so innate to me. All I had to focus on was the performance was the drama, was the emotion that I wanted to create by through the performance. So, yeah, you have to learn all about breathing techniques you uh, and, and different exercises, but also uh, music interpretation mm. and, um, you know, how, how, you, how you can do that. So there's also lots of other things when you're opera singer, like singing in a foreign language, you know. Mm. Oh, good point. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know how to speak Italian, but I can sing in Italian. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my fiance is actually uh, half Italian, so I'm myself learning Italian at the moment. But I think if I listen oh, to opera, okay. I wouldn't be able to translate it, and I I can't speak uh, I that can well. I can teach you a song. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so linking in, sort of, you've travelled quite a bit, and one of the anecdotes you provide is a. I think a spa that you were start you were going to be starting in Ireland, and then it kind of more came to fruition in the US. I wondered if you, telling us that anecdote and linking that in with how your travel across the, those two places, but also the the wider world, how that has impacted your business mind. Well, I guess first of all, um, what what that uh, business was it was actually my first business. So mm-hmm. I was in the corporate world. I was a director for the Priory. And I could see an opportunity um, to develop a, a service that was non kind of medical clinical based and more uh, more therapeutic in a spa like environment. And my feasibility studies took me to Ireland and I spent basically spent 12 months searching for a premise and 12 months also searching for funding mm-hmm. And that's how I ended up in the States. So I didn't take the business to the States. I actually raised funding. And it's actually from George Bush's personal banker that I got uh, my my first funding offer. So I raised uh, 16 million euro uh, from him. But I failed to get planning permission on that business, which, uh, which basically led me to having a bit of a mini breakdown because I'd poured everything into this business including a couple of hundred thousand pounds at this point and I'd amassed an amazing team in Ireland and in the UK to work on this project some of those people actually working for me for free because they were so caught up in the passion that was behind the project they wanted to be part of it and I'm talking about guys who are behind very very big projects uh, here in the UK and around the world and um, so, first of all, I had to get over the culture issues because even between us and Ireland, there is actually quite a significant difference in the culture mm-hmm. and the way that they work. And, you know, when somebody says to you, OK, talk to you soon in Ireland, that could mean actually in a month. And <laughs> for an impatient person like me, that was one of the first things I had to learn was actually when somebody says, uh, I'll talk to you later, that m- means actually follow up in a month <laughs> uh, or, or remind them, you know. Uh, so, uh, but I, I met one hell of a lot of people along that journey. And that's actually how my first consultancy and coaching business was founded because as I started to talk to different people, they kind of said to me, oh, can you help me in my business? And one of those guys was actually a guy who owned some spas in Ireland. They were more like day spas, not the kind of spa that I was setting up, which more simple. And that took me into Poland 
And again, that was a completely different um, culture there in terms of the way they went about business and even the way they went about spa, you know, that there was nothing kind of, it was very therapeutic spa was in the places that I went to in, in Poland compared to us in the UK where we like to be pampered and we like to feel good and the customer service is really high level. Over in Poland, it was about if, if you need a massage, let's dig deep into those muscles. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there's kind of like rousing music in the background and it wasn't about relaxation at all. It was about therapy and looking good. And so, yeah, I found it really interesting uh, in terms of the way things the, the way things were done. Very, very different just in between those three countries. And, um, yeah, I think in terms of what it taught me was just, I don't know, it helped me obviously have confidence. I was stepping out of my comfort zone all the time. Uh, putting myself in front of different people and just hopping on a plane. <laughs> and uh, because I think one of the problems is with us in business generally is that we can become too too static, too used to everything that's around us. And that limits our thinking. And I think because I have this creative streak in me and I do love to travel. I put myself out of my comfort zone all the time. It opens you up to so many more opportunities. It just really just just having different conversations with people from different cultures and the way that they work just helps you to see things in a different way. And that is what we need in business because there's too many businesses that just do things just the same way, you know, that uh, and they could be a lot more efficient, a lot more appealing if we could look at the solutions in a bit more um, creative way. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. And that links in with something I heard you say as well, which was um, one of these services that you provide, um, be it there's a membership sort of service that you provide, but then there's also a consultancy and they're kind of, you know, they're not completely separate uh, things. But I wonder if you could speak a little bit about what it is you do and linking in with what you just said about um, in business, people don't always want to do the hard thing. And I think that one of the elements of your, uh, well, the, the wide amount of abilities and uh, experience that you have helps push people towards that. I know this part of business sucks and it's can be really boring or it's really difficult and it's hard to do, but this is important. You need to go forward with yeah. this. So I wonder if you could tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think one of the hardest things for businesses to do is to actually create structure and create foundations. So um, a lot a lot of people on their business early on in their business journey will make the mistake of looking at more what appears to be more successful businesses and try and emulate that. But quite often the people who look successful aren't. So whilst they may have built uh significant revenue streams they've actually built them without foundation and that quite often means that parts of their business will crumble away because they haven't taken the time to build a foundation and that is a really really boring part it's boring to me and, and I've worked <laughs> in business all my life you know it really is tedious and boring and it's the hardest part so what amazes me quite often is that on the uh club side of my business I will work with entrepreneurs who have managed to get grow their business to something close to six figures but they don't they haven't put any structure in place to get there some of them haven't even got 
proper health and safety policies in place. And I, I find that quite staggering that people can get to that, that place. But once you get to about that, you can earn about that type of revenue on your own, but then you have to start employing other people. And that's where it gets difficult because people are just start, oh, oh, I need an administrator. Let's just bring in an administrator. And, oh, I need another person to help me actually deliver the goods. But they do it before they've created proper processes, before they've created their standards, their customer service, pro, you know, all, all, all those kind of elements, as well as all the financial aspects of it. And you have to do that. And it's a really, really difficult time. And it's also almost a time where you go backwards because when you're developing your business, you will be highly profitable, especially if it's almost like a one-man band. And then you have to start putting uh, resources in to support you, bring in people, bring in extra equipment, perhaps facility. And your profitability can drop right back. And that's a real testing time because it's also testing in terms of actually getting the right team, getting the right people, hiring for attitude, not, you know, not ability, not skills. And, you know, you, you could find that you're recruiting the same person every couple of months because, you know, you haven't got the right one. And and that's really frustrating. And sometimes businesses can bounce right back and say, OK, I'm going to do it on my own. You know, it's easier. And so, yeah, I think the biggest mistake that companies make is growing before they've created the foundation and the foundation is as I say tedious and hard work but once you've got that foundation it's so much easier to scale up and scaling up is where the real pleasure in business happens you know the um the actions you take are no harder to actually run a really successful multiple six-figure business than they are to run something that's under six figures. You know, mm-hmm. that's where the that's where it's hard work and where the struggle is. Yeah, yes, the expanding too quickly is an element, but also not expanding quickly enough and becoming overwhelmed by things. And yeah. I, I work in insurance, so I, I work for a broker, um, which is not the most exciting uh, job in the world, but it pays the bills. But it's something that's given me an insight into a lot of the behind the scenes of going on, like in a lot of businesses especially some of the smaller side of businesses and then you know you see a company and you're just asking for very simple standard information like this driver's driver license you know what is it and they struggle to even find that and then there's little signs and you go how long is this business going to last if the most simple thing of just being somewhat organized and having decent digital or physical filing or usually both how simple that might be and then often i see clients that are like that and then i've i've been working there for nearly six years it's around the time i started my podcast funny enough i had a break from work for a bit i needed a break from just working in general i had two months off started the podcast then started my job in insurance and so in that i found that yeah there are so many companies that i saw and i was like you're not organizing this way you're not organizing this way and this way and then a few years later they uh end up collapsing you know the assets being liquidated and things like that so with that, you know, when you, with someone such as yourself who is passionate about business, obviously we've just discussed a few things that aren't quite as exciting, you know, but what is it about working in the industry that you do that you really find ignites that fire beneath you? What's the thing that really drives you when you're doing these kind of things? And I know it's something quite positive and I like, <laughs> I, I've heard it before, but I like it. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, the thing that actually drives me is that I'm driven to to try and create more business success in the world and help businesses to survive. There's 
way too much business failure, way too much struggle in business. And there doesn't have to be. And I believe it's businesses that will help change the needle on the economy, not just in the UK, but across the world. I don't think we can rely on I think it's proven that we cannot rely on our governments and mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know there's, there's a limit to what they can do but through business if we can create more success if we can be uh making more money and a lot of people who I talk to will say oh it's not about the money of course it's about the money if you're in <laughs> business it's about the money and the money follows the passion and the purpose right so I'm not saying I don't work with businesses that are money orientated but equally I don't work with businesses that don't care about making money because money is our value system we make money because we do a good a good job for somebody else that's their way we give to them, they give to us. That's money. When we have money, first of all, it enables us to live the lives we're born for, which is let's let's be free to experience life as we choose. The way you want to live your life is going to be different to the way I want to live my life. There's nothing wrong with that, but we should we are both given the gift of life and the choices we can we can make to do that. We can give opportunities to other people. You know, we employ more people. We can support the causes that stir our hearts. That is the kind of, and that all has a knock-on effect. Even if you're a teeny tiny business and you're doing that well, that will have knock-on effects on all those families that you employ, all those charities that you support. Uh, And as I say, that's what drives me is the fact that if I can have even the tiniest impact, on helping businesses to survive, uh, well, not just to survive, but to thrive and to help those business owners ease some of the stress and pressure that they feel whilst running their businesses. That's what really motivates me. Mm -hmm. And have you, with this, you say that you've been in the industry uh, for nearly two decades. Have you always had this positive mindset as long as you've been in this or is that something that's kind of grown with you? I've always, always, always had a positive mindset. If if um, if you ask my mom what was Carol like as a child, she'd say she was always laughing, mm-hmm. always laughing, always happy. And one of the things, because uh, I, I was a, a co-author of a book that came out a couple of years ago, and I'm just about to bring out another book now. But one of the things that I say in that book is that people say to me all the time, oh, you're so lucky. And I say, yeah, I am so lucky that I had the attitude of taking 100% responsibility for my own life. And and so I think in terms of positivity, if you take personal responsibility, you have to be positive because you can't create anything positive if you've got a negative attitude. If you're always moaning and you're always blaming other people or circumstances or or the economy or whatever, you're never going to achieve anything. But if you say, what is it that I can do? And you recognize that you, first of all, have choices. You know, you have a choice, you know, what 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 you do in life, what you spend your money on. That is a choice. And if you also take personal responsibility and say, what is it that I can do today? Because I am the master of my life and this is how I want it to turn out. Um, and, yeah, there's always something to be grateful for. And if you if you actually recognize just how lucky we are flipping lucky. You know, seriously, we are flipping lucky. We are blessed with everything that's around us. And I know people have tough times, but the standard of living is so high. 
and the things that we have on hand to us is just incredible and I think when we start when we actually recognize that take time to recognize it we lose our sense of entitlement we lose our sense of expectation and you can be much more positive and when you are positive you will achieve a lot more yeah, I agree with that completely. It's it's one of those. It's uh, you know, as you said, there are issues in life at the moment, but every almost everyone on this planet is living a better life than they were, say, four hundred years ago. You know, and that's a quite an extreme example, but that's a perspective to have, and that's one that I've tried sticking to, especially because um, and I've spoken about this on my podcast quite a lot. About ten years ago, um, my dad died due to cancer, and it was you know one of the worst things that ever happened to me, but it was one of the best things that ever happened to my perspective, and it's one of the things that birthed the podcast. It's one of the reasons why I kind of changed uh, a lot of what I was doing in my life. It took a little bit of while. There was an adjustment period. But I have found personally, since having a more positive mindset, since thinking about all the good I could or couldn't do, and that element, rather than focusing on the negative, just personally, my own quality of life has improved exponentially. So I think that what you're saying with the mindset really works well. And I want to link that in with something um, regarding sort of the the female perspective in, to a degree you've spoken quite a lot on other podcasts and it's on uh, your website as well is that a lot of your clientele have been female-led businesses and i wondered if you could talk to us a little bit about either if you've specifically chosen that or why potentially female-led businesses could use some more assistance from your services just you've got quite a lot of experience in this field and i have none so i want to pass the baton to you to tell us a little bit about that Okay, so I guess uh, you understand how my consultancy and coaching business came about, which was, as I said, people started to ask me for help. And um, yeah, so I started working with them, their businesses to help them. And most of those people were were guys. And uh, as I worked with one person, they'd pass me on to another. And eventually I formed consultancy and coaching. And I ended up doing, because I lost planning permission for this destination spot over in Ireland, I kind of of like a mini break behind the planet. I was on other businesses, uh, but not really putting myself out there that, you know, I was just spending every other hour working on their businesses. And then one day I happened to just come across this report and I can't remember where it was, but it, I, I'd never forgotten it. And it said that businesses owned by women tended to underperform in terms of in areas such as growth, revenue and profit. And I couldn't believe it. Because I'd been so deep in business all of my life, I just couldn't understand why why that would be. So I started having conversations with uh, female business owners. And I was talking to them about things like end of month analysis, goal setting, cash flows, forecasts, and so on, and key performance indicators and, and lots of other things. And they were looking at me blank, you know, and they were just like, we don't even know what you're talking about. Some people were even like, well, what is profit? You know, and understanding the difference between profit and cash and so on and so forth. So these women were also really caring. They were purpose-driven. They, uh, Some of them just were really passionate about improving other people's lives and so on and so forth. But one of the other things that became really obvious is is the conditioning, the difference between how men are conditioned and how women are conditioned. And I think it's really understood, it's really understood now, and women do recognize that, that they are conditioned 
to put other people first before themselves. Men are conditioned to go out, get the job, make the business. You know, they are conditioned to be ambitious and to chase their dreams. And they are like the breadwinners and make the most money. They can make harsh decisions and so on and so forth. Women, you know, they tend to, as I say, put other people first. They do what they think they should. And even the women who have successful careers, like even if I look at myself through my corporate career, I took advantage, quick advantage of any opportunity that was in front of me. And I did really, really well in that respect. You know, I progressed really quickly uh, uh, from one job to another and one promotion to another. And I, I, did, I ran this program um, in one of my corporates. Um, for the government that was to help people out of work get back into work people who had been off sick and many of those people were very very successful women in corporate roles and they've been off sick sometimes for about two years and when we actually dug down deep with them there was kind of like this really disconnect between what they were doing and why you know that it's kind of they found themselves in these jobs that they should do because they needed to earn the money. They wanted the status. It helped put their kids through school and, you know, kept their family safe and and whatever. But then it was soulless. And so when we, when you look at women and you think they're doing what they think they should do, we also don't value ourselves generally. You know, we kind of think other people are worth more than we are. And again, that's part of our conditioning. And we don't invest in ourselves. So if I said to you, this is what you need to make your job or your career or your life better, you are much more likely to spend that money on you than your wife, you know, because she would be thinking, oh, I could spend that money on my children or on on, on the house or on my husband or whatever. Um, and so we miss out a big part of our education. We set up in business because we want to make a difference. But we don't invest in the skills that we need because we don't know what we don't know. And and all of those things I've already spoken about. So Planet Peacock was actually born from that one that one little bit of report that I read. And I just was passionate about making a difference and being able to show these women really how they didn't have to lose all their femininity. They didn't have to lose caring and supporting and loving people they didn't have to lose any of that they just had to get smarter in terms of saying it's okay to charge what I'm worth it's okay to charge profitable rates I don't have to give more than I get uh, and it was just about really helping them to master the skills that they need and the mindset that they need in order to make their businesses more successful Mm. And it links in with what you were saying slightly earlier in the conversation as well, which is when you become a business owner, when you go from being, you know, an, an independent sole trader to having actual employees with what you were saying with, you know, generally women having a more uh, selfless aspect or trying to worry about other people. One thing that you highlighted, which I would ask you to elaborate on, is the idea where you can still have that exact mindset but you just change your perspective a little bit. So if you're thinking only, I want to help others, so I'm not going to invest in my business, you have to think of it like, but if you invest in your business, your family will be better off, you'll have jobs for other people, and the service you're providing is going on more. So uh, yeah. obviously, I don't want you giving out all your business secrets on, on this podcast, but what if you could just explore that element a little bit more for us? Yeah, I guess it all boils down to the fact that nobody can rate or love you more than you do yourself. So if you don't rate yourself, 
you're never going to earn the type of money that you need uh, and and deserve. You have so you have to believe in yourself. And I think going back to why you're doing what you're doing, what is the reason? What is the benefit? The reason businesses exist is that they solve problems. They make life better or more pleasurable for people. And when you do that, you have to accept the value in return. So it's about focusing on the difference that you make and believing in yourself. You know, other people aren't going to believe in you if you don't believe in yourself. So you have to you have to believe that it's possible that you do deserve it. And then you just have to accept it and you have to make a choice. And that's as simple as it can be. When I talk about all the conditioning that we have, we can understand that and we can accept it and say, yes, that's the way it's been for a long, long time. But it's not the way it's going to be tomorrow because I'm going to make a choice now. I'm going to make a choice that I'm going to believe in me. I'm going to rate in me, uh, rate me and I'm going to care for me and I'm going to do this for me because, as you just said, when I do it for me, everybody benefits. You know, it, if you do, like I was speaking to a guy earlier today, actually, on, on another podcast, uh, and um, he was telling me about one of his employees who had done really, really well. And so he paid him this bonus and he upped his salary. And he says, what are you going to do with it? And he says, I'm going to buy myself a motorbike. And I said, you know, and we were saying, like, isn't that amazing? He's got a family. You know, so many people would think, oh, I'm going to take the family on holiday or I'm going to buy something for the home. And I think it's dead right what he did, because every time he gets on that motorbike and he's driving down his amazing winding country lanes and he's feeling the air in, air in his hair, you know, or whatever, he's going to think of his boss. He's going to think of the performance that he's done that's led him to that. And the fact that he's been able to treat himself means that he will not end up begrudging working really hard for other people. You know, because that's what happens, isn't it? You work your fingers to the bone and you think, well, what is it all for? Mm -hmm. There has to be a benefit that you can enjoy. So um, just going back to what what I also do with clients is I get them to envision what they want for their life. So I, I don't start with business. I actually say, how do you want to live your life? Because if you talk about business success, that's about living life the way you want to, with joy, with the enough money to have the freedom to do the things you want. So what do you want for your life? And so then what does your business need to be to give you that? And then we reverse engineer from there. So um, does that answer the question? Because I can't. It does. No, it does. And it links in with another point I was going to ask about, which was um, you made a comment in a prior podcast about, in theory, everyone could be a millionaire. It's just that not everyone is willing to put in that amount of effort. So I wonder if you could link that in with what you just stated. Yeah, I think um, there are roadmaps to success. And if you follow them, you will create success. But But the fact, the real fact is, is the fact people don't want to sacrifice living life today for benefits they're going to receive tomorrow. And that is a personal choice. You know, when people go into business, I always ask them where they want to take it, you know, what and what is their exit strategy? Because I don't work with people and say, 
oh, you want to be a seven-figure business. They might uh, they might want to be a, a five-figure business. That's fine. You know, that's absolutely fine. And But I think it's being really clear on what you want is so important because it just becomes a stress otherwise. You've got to be, to be a millionaire and to, to raise that much money in your business. You have to, you have to run your business in a certain way. You have to structure it in a certain way. You have to use other people. You know, you, it's very difficult to make a million just on your own. You know, <laughs> none of us are islands. We all need other people. And, you know, some people don't want to bother doing that. Some people want to merely have the freedom and flexibility that their own business brings, but be able to replace the income that they had from their workplace. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that because the way you work with that person is completely different to the way you work with somebody who says, actually, I want to earn a quarter of a million, half a million or a million plus or eight figures, nine figures. You know, the the actions that you take will be completely different. So it's really important to know what it is you want from your business and then make sure every single decision that you make, you ask yourself, does this take me closer towards that goal? Does it keep me where I am? Or does it take me off in a completely different tangent? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's one of the other things that you said, my piece of advice is linking what, what you've said there. You need to have clear and concise aims. And one element that you mentioned as well is a to-do list. Now, I yeah. myself am a big proponent of lists, uh, be it physical or on my phone. On my phone, I've got like a thousand notes of just random things I've listed. And all around me, I've got notebooks that are filled up with guests for podcasts or notes or these sort of things. So I wondered if you could just say, I, I love, there's so many guests I've had that are you know, successful is an odd term, but using it in in this sort of sense, that are successful in their own right. I've had so many different guests, uh, published authors, have been on the New York Times bestselling list, entrepreneurs, people who've made lots of money, people who've just travelled the world, and almost unanimously they all say you need a to do list. So I just love hearing that sort of that confirmation of my own opinion. So what if you could just agree with me on that point of the yeah. importance of a to do list and, and concise goals because it's just so important in any way. I think it is absolutely 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 vital and there is a lot of people who will say things like when it comes to new year's resolutions oh i don't set them anymore because they don't work i don't set goals because they don't work the reason the goal setting doesn't work is because you are setting goals to please other people Mm -hmm. when you set goals that are in total alignment with what you choose to do and by the way i call my to-do list a choose to-do list Oh, nice. That's good. Um, Because a to-do list makes you feel you've got to do it, whereas I'm choosing what I want to do. So, yeah, choose to do this. Um, So, yeah, so goals don't work if they're driven by what you feel you need to achieve. If somebody says to you, you've got to give up smoking, uh, you're never going to do it. It's never going to work, whatever goal you set, until you actually say, my goal is I want to give up smoking and you actually really want to do it, then you can achieve it. So yeah, being really, really clear on what your goal is. And it should be linked, as I say, to what your vision for life is and you reverse engineer from it. So you have your goal in mind. And in terms of uh, a to-do list, I will block out time in my schedule to do certain things at certain times. So I won't uh, plan specific tasks too far ahead of time but I will block out time this is the time when I'm 
uh, writing my next chapter in my book. This is the time when I'm planning planning the business, revisiting the strategy. This is the chunk of time where I'm analysing performance. Uh, This is the time where I'm meeting with clients. So I will chunk out time and keep it, well, I try and keep it in a a regular pattern, but it doesn't tend to work that way in my life. (laughs) But yeah, I, I will chunk out that. And then I will have a list of actions that I have to do. One of the things that I try and do, so I like paper, I do. I like uh, paper diaries and and, and, uh, not paper diaries so much, but paper diaries in terms of my to-do list each each day. But uh, what I will also do is I will just get a piece of paper where I will list every single task I've got to do. I can't possibly fit that into a day or a week. But when I'm looking at it, when I'm planning my week ahead, I just bring another piece of paper on top of that and bring forward the key things that I've got to do that week. What is the most important thing that is going to move the needle on my business this week? And which slot does it need to go into in terms of those blocked out chunks of time? And I don't even look at the rest of it because it's too intimidating. You look at it, you think, oh, get that done, you know. (laughs) Uh, But if you're only looking at here's the three most important things I'm going to do today. Most people overestimate what they can do in a day and they underestimate what they can achieve in a year. So if you can set goals and you can reverse engineer and just focus on what you've got to do this quarter and then what that means you've got to do this week and what you've got to do tomorrow, you are more likely to actually make progress than anything else. But to think you can just go with the flow and achieve something is just ludicrous absolutely ludicrous you just I I refer to I refer to I meet a lot of people like that and I refer to them as paint splatters Mm. so you know if I'm going to paint the wall in here and you know I know I'm going to start in that corner and work my way to that corner but I could equally just dip my paintbrush in the in the tin and splatter it at the wall and eventually I might cover it all but that's what it is you end up being busy you end up using loads of energy working all the time, but not actually making any progress. You know, it's just going off all over the place. So yeah, you know, um, get those goals and definitely to-do list. Mm-hmm. Choose one- to-do list. Yeah, I've written that down. That's I love that little term. I'm going to tell it to uh, my partner as well. It's it's one of those because I've I've often thought about with to do lists the way the metaphor used is brilliant. The paint splatter, I really like that. My what I use when I explain to people why I do to do lists and things like that is I describe thoughts a lot of ways. Is like lo- the wax in a lava lamp. So it's just this weird am- amalgus thing, but you've got about a hundred things going on at once. So you imagine a giant lava lamp with a hundred, you can't differentiate what's what, you can't see what the important one is, but writing it down physically or on the computer, I personally am a notepad person as well, I like a pen and being able to annotate and scroll over it. When I do that, it kind of, it takes one bit of one of those coloured waxes out and it puts it straight on the page. And yeah. sometimes when you've got even more, even just if I have a day off and I'm like, I'm going to do some chores. If I don't even write down what chores, I kind of float about a lot doing nothing and just waste time. I need to do the, you know, I need to load up the dishwasher and then wash up the pans that don't go in the dishwasher and sort the laundry out and do this. But because I'm just kind of, I do one thing and I just kind of look around and I'm like, I guess yeah. that thing next. Yeah. And even doing that is a waste of time, knowing if yeah. there's something upstairs that's far more pressing and important. So I think it's just kind of 
getting rid of the inner static almost in your own mind, being able to translate these ethereal thoughts into concise, easy to understand things. So even if you're having a bit of a bad day or if you're having a good day, anything's distracting you. You get a phone call you don't expect or an email. You can lose that sense of focus, even if you're one of the most focused people there are. But the pen doesn't lie. If you've got it in front of you, wherever your mind has gone to, you can bring it back to that. Oh, yeah, Um, I like that, yeah. Yeah, and so so I agree completely with everything that you're saying. And um, even from this small conversation alone, I'm sure my audience can tell that you are a fantastic business consultant. You know exactly what you're talking about, which there was no doubts on my part, but I want to make sure the audience were. Um, We will start to wrap up here, but I want to ask about your book, Um, obviously both your books. So how was writing? Because I've spoken to quite a few authors and I just love hearing people's writing method. I know, I assume that you've been writing nonfiction as opposed to fiction, which I've spoken to quite a few people doing that yeah. as well. How did you find writing your first book as an experience? And how has that, what have you learned from that in writing your second book? Okay, the first book was, I was a co-author. So there was nine other ladies that wrote a chapter in this book. Mm-hmm. And we had a book coach who became my book coach for the the second book. Mm-hmm. So we were given kind of instructions and help every step of the way. And because it was only one chapter, it was relatively easy. I guess what the hard point was, was focusing on what was the message that I wanted to get across. And um, in terms of the second book, it was quite different because I was writing the whole book Mm. so it was about setting out the plan exactly the same as being in business really it Mm. was about kind of like creating the objective how do I want people to feel as a result of reading this book what state are they in at this moment in time and what state do I want them to be in after they finish reading my book what do I want them to say about the book and how you know so how do I want to help them and then and actually setting out um, the, the key chapters. So I did this in, in conjunction with my book coach, who was amazing in terms of helping me to discern what needed to go in what order. And then I just set myself goals, how many words I needed to write every single day and find the time where it was best for me to do that, which in my case was very early in the morning. As soon as I jump out of bed, the first thing I do was write my book. Uh, write the pages and then send it over to the book coach to kind of go through it, make her comments. And uh, it's, it's actually really good to do it. And it, I, I read hundreds of books myself. I've probably got half a dozen at least on the go at the moment. And um, a lot of people will learn in different ways, but actually reading a book is probably one of the greatest resources that you can have because the amount of knowledge experience research that goes into these non-fiction books is really quite amazing you know it's like I've worked in business since I was 18 you know I'm a little bit older than that now and <laughs> that is my whole life experience that's gone into this book and people can benefit from it but what I'd say from a reading point of view is it's easy We don't always need to know any more. What we need to do is take action. And so I always make a point when I'm reading a book now of actually reading it and what am I going to do as a result of this? And I think that is just so important. So one of the things I've tried to do in writing this second book 
is to actually include activities and or link to a free course on my website and, and and things like that. But I've I've actually really enjoyed it, and I've already got another book in my mind to do that's going to be more personal. But um, yeah, it's it's a great experience. But you need discipline, and you need to set goals, and you know work in that choose to do list when you're going to do it, and so on. One of the things I like the most about you, Carol, is that not only are you successful and you're positive and you're giving a lot of these interesting lessons and things out, but also simultaneously you are happy to, for your clients and for everyone to confirm, you know, if you, if you, it's not bragging, it's being confident, you know, it's, it's being understanding your own value. That's one aspect of it. But in the same um, aspect on the other side of the scale, something that's equally important is knowing when you're not an expert knowing when to ask for help to look elsewhere for things and obviously in the business that you run you know consultancy is a large part of that so you want to impart your knowledge on others but even with you writing a book you know you could have said i've written a chapter in a book before i can do it all myself i've spoken to this you know uh, book author i had i learned that sorry the book um consultant i learned these things coach forgot the word eventually Uh, this book coach from the first book you could have been like i've learned all i need to learn but you're going into something which you are not an expert in and you are accepting help from someone and it's helping you be better. And I just really think that all of the lessons you've imparted on both myself, but also the audience of all of these things of just knowing your own value, both in a way of knowing what you can achieve, knowing what your potential is, but also knowing when you need to look elsewhere, when you need to extend the olive branch. And if more people were like that across the world in business and out of business, if people were just more like that and more reasonable with their own value, the entire yeah. world would just completely flourish, I think. So I, yeah. I thank you for that perspective. Yeah. I mean, uh, Planet Peacock, the reason for that name is that the planet aspect of it represents a circle that we all belong in. And it uh, represents the fact that no one is above us. Nobody is beneath us. We all just exist together. And the more we can focus on our own skills, our own abilities, the things that actually ultimately bring us the most joy in terms of what we do, we first of all encourage other people to do the same. But we don't, we recognize also that we don't, as you say, we don't have to be great at everything. There's loads of stuff I'm rubbish at. You know, even in even in business, you know, I've worked in almost every single department you can imagine. But now, you know, technology's moved on and so on and so forth. And it's like, no, I, I, I can't keep up with that. I'm just going to bring in an expert to do that now. And um, it is just that acknowledgement. Yeah, I know how good I am at what I do. And that is not boasting. That is accepting the fact that I know I can help a certain group of people. And I love doing that. Uh, and there's a lot more things that I'm worse at and bad at <laughs> that I can't do. I don't beat myself up about them. You know, I, I don't. And as you said, in terms of coach, I also have a coach, you know, to help me because I think you need the accountability. A coach uh, or a mentor or a consultant pushes you beyond what you know. You know, you cannot achieve more than you've got now if you don't move out of your comfort zone and you don't extend your skill. And a coach is the quickest way to get the result because uh, I've learned all the ways not to do it. <laughs> so, so anybody who learns from me kind of short circuits that. So yeah, it's it's about us all, I think, 
we, we shouldn't do people down that are confident and in, in accepting what they're really good at. And we need to stop this business of beating ourselves up, you know, talking. We wouldn't talk to other people the way we talk about ourselves. And we need to start looking in the mirror and saying, yeah, you're flipping great at that. You know, wasn't that an amazing day? That was so great. You know, I'm amazing at that. And it, you know, the, the trouble is with our schooling system is that it's all aimed at creating average C's, isn't it? Mm-hmm. If you're super great at maths and you're rubbish at English, the school will make sure that your English scores go up to at least a C. And and I think a lot of us live by that in our lives, you know, that we can't shine. We have to be average. And that goes back to our caveman days when we all had to stick together and stay in a team as we'd be eaten by the saber-toothed tiger. Uh, but, but I just think own your power. We've all got superpowers. Own those and get help for the areas that you don't know. And it will make the world a better place. Absolutely incredible. Well, that's a perfect way to sort of end this conversation off. So thank you very much for all of your time um, that you spent, especially with the technical difficulties in the middle. I very much appreciate that. And so um, wrapping up then, please tell us, um, I'll put notes in the show notes as well, uh, et cetera, but uh, please tell us the the book that you co-authored, um, anything you can about when you're the book that you're writing at the moment, if you have a vague idea of when it's coming out, I know specific times are always tricky when you're a prospective author. And then any final things you want to say before we finish this recording? Okay, so um, my uh, the book that I co-authored last year is called Women Who Are Not Willing to Settle. Uh, and you can get it on Kindle very cheaply, or you can get it on Amazon, or you can actually contact me and I will sign a copy and send it to you. Um, and uh, they're all great, great, look, great little stories. And I'm sure there is a story in there that will appeal to everybody because they're very diverse. Mine is the only business story in there. Other stories are, are very different. My other, my next book, which is called Limitless Probabilities. Um, I hope will be coming out before the year end, um, probably uh, end of October, maybe November time. Uh, And I will be putting out notifications on my social media channels and on the website too. Um, The book, Women Who Are Willing to Settle, there is links from my website, planetpeacockclub.com. And I also have another website, consultancyandcoaching.co.uk. I am on Instagram. I am Carol Evans, uh, as well as Planet Peacock Club. And I'm on Facebook, Consultancy and Coaching, LinkedIn as Carol Evans. And my businesses are on there too. Lots of places. I'm, <laughs> Where can't you find you is probably a better question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I am everywhere. Uh, well, no, I'm not everywhere, actually. No, I should be a lot more in, in a lot more places. But uh, anyway, yeah, there's lots of places there that you can you can find me. I love to chat to anybody anytime. So if anybody wants to have a conversation, just uh, book in a call and happy just to chat. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much again for your insight, your positivity, and just everything you're bringing both inside and outside of the business world is hugely appreciated. And I know that your enthusiasm um, is genuinely inspiring. So just thank you so much once again for this great conversation. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much, Mike, for chatting with me. It's been amazing to meet you and talk to you. Thank you. 
And that's the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening as always, my friends. As I said in the intro, make sure you check out the links in the show notes just so you can find Carol's website, her social media, and also the book that she co-authored. And then it means you can keep up to date with her when she releases the other book that she's going to be releasing, hopefully at the end of 2023. Now, what have we got coming up? Well, next week is either going to be the release of Disney Discussions number seven, which was hosted by Rhea, or it's going to be my conversation with the High Republic author, George Mann. So uh, it'll be one of the two. Whichever one it isn't is going to be whatever one it will be for the following week. I've also got a couple of other things in the pipeline. I've got a couple of recordings next week, and I will be recording some sort of thing about myself and Megan here in Somerset. Probably record it on our drive back. I imagine I'll put that on Patreon as well. So if you want to support the show, you can follow me at Genuine Chit Chat on instagram twitter and on facebook you can share the show with your friends you can share on social media tell people about it you can rate and review which really helps the show out if you're listening on spotify and you could just leave a five star rating that would be great same as if you're on apple podcasts or if you're on good pods or audible because i recently got on audible and not as many people listen on audible because i think most people like myself just listen to audiobooks on there so if anyone is listening on audible a rate and review would be hugely hugely appreciated but another way you can support the show as well as subscribing to the youtube channel as well is by subscribing to patreon so you can give as little as one pound a month and then you will get access to over 170 episodes of afterthoughts straight away it's his own audio feed there's most of the conversations of myself and megan rating movies tv shows live performances holidays things like that but also there's a handful of ones where it's just myself mainly reviewing star wars legends books but in addition to that it's only one pound a month but you get access to everything immediately but if you don't want to commit to something financially you can give some money to my coffee ko-fi so that's ko-fi.com slash genuine chit chat and you can give as little as one pound just as a one-off payment or you can give more money and depending on how much you give will depend on what you get but even if you give one pound you'll still get a couple episodes of afterthoughts and if you give slightly more you'll get more afterthoughts and you can leave a message and ask specifically what kinds of ones that you would want if you just wanted every styles legends one or every mcu one or things like like that we can arrange that for you it's not a problem at all but if you want instant access to every single afterthoughts episode on its own exclusive feed patreon is the best way to support the show but any amount of support be it financially be it rating and reviews be it socially or be it just listening is still hugely hugely appreciated but that's gonna be enough for me my friends make sure you just keep up to date with everything i'm doing on social media and all that sort of stuff always check out the show notes and i'll speak to yourselves next week either with disney discussion 7 or with my conversation with george mann you have just experienced host creator everything else of genuine chit chat and also the host and creator of star wars comics and canon found on the comics in motion podcast Mike Burton.